Disclaimer. The following podcast contains explicit language and adult content. The content may offend some listeners. Relax and don't be a hater. Hello. Welcome to a walk in the park podcast. (laughs) This is Riss. And this is Babs. And in our podcast, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of wine, cake, laughter, friendship, success, families, fun, the extraordinary. We're happy you're listening. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I love it. Let's just get this walk started, baby. Woo-woo. Hello, A Walk in the Park podcast listeners. This is Babs. March was a month of ennui, energy drop, and existential angst. Nothing happened that was particularly fulfilling, and now the year is 25% finished. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines ennui as, quote, a feeling of weariness and dissatisfaction, end quote. Synonyms? Blahs, boredom, tedium. I have to say it was a prevalent feeling this month. Once again, Jonathan got to leave the country while I was stuck here. I think Jonathan booked our December-January trip to Argentina, but who cares at this point? Some new variant or virus will probably ruin it. Existential angst. What's the point of any of it? I've been building Tetris walls in my mind to stave off the deluges that threaten to carry me off over the cliff. Perhaps I've been spending too much time in the past reading journals from 15 to 20 years ago. Will I feel as sorry for who I am now as my current self feels for that former self? It's draining. Resilience, quote, an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change, end quote. I guess easily is a relative term, but that's what Tetris in my mind is for me. You see, Whenever overwhelming thoughts threaten my mental stability, I just imagine Tetris blocks floating down from that Tetris cloud in the sky. Cloud, that's not a good analogy. You know what I mean. It's like raining lollipops. Anyway, I build the Tetris wall with my mind. And it is actually like walling it off and I just go down a different path. So it's not about putting the pieces together to make them fit and give me some big revelation or success. It's just focusing on the blocks and getting them in place to redirect my mind from the thoughts that I know are going to push me over the cliff. Ah, Over the cliff. Anyway, let's talk about psychedelic toad venom. According to an article in the March 20th Sunday New York Times, toad secretions are, quote, riding the wave of greater mainstream acceptance of psychedelics for treating mental disorders and addiction, end quote. This, of course, means the toads are in danger and the Sonoran Desert toad population could collapse. For now, it can still be found in parts of Arizona and northwest Mexico. A Navy SEAL veteran smoked the secretions of the Sonoran Desert Toad and claims to have, quote, 
got a full central nervous system reset, end quote. According to herpetologists, the toad secretions are actually a poison because you uh, ingest them. What's the process to collect these secretions? Threaten the toad. That sounds a bit ironic and bad karma. Quote, when the toad is threatened, it excretes toxins strong enough to kill full-grown dogs. A substance found in these toxins, 5 hyphen, capital M, little e, capital O, hyphen, capital D, M, T, can be dried into crystals and smoked in a pipe, producing an intense experience generally lasting 15 to 30 minutes in contrast to other psychedelic substances that can involve hours of hallucinating and vomiting, end quote. That's from the article, demand for this toad psychedelic toxin is booming. Some warn that's bad for the toad. I don't actually recall who wrote that article. Sorry, authors. Anywho, the big March news, which you think would obviate the ennui, the angst, the blahs, is Tom Brady unretiring. That's right, people. As you all have already probably heard, after 40 days, Tom has come back into the NFL fold. It's like Jesus going off for 40 days and then coming back. Hopefully, Tom will not have the same result as Jesus. And yes, people, I realize some people may consider it blasphemous or sacrilegious to compare Tom Brady to Jesus, but get over yourselves. It's just a podcast, people. I'm not inventing a new religion. So, Tom is back, and, you know, people that know me think, oh my god, you must be so excited, this is the best. Frankly, in the month of March, I was pretty pissed at him for putting me through that. He never should have retired. It didn't make any sense whatsoever. No sense. And so I'm sure between now and the NFL season starting and perhaps in perpetuity, people will speculate on why Tom did what he did. I'm sure other theories will come out. Other information will come forward. All I know is my husband has mentioned season tickets for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe my ennui is going to dissipate. All right, a Walk in the Park podcast listeners. Thanks for listening to this live portion of A Walk in the Park, a Babs minisode. love Scientific American Magazine. I'm a subscriber, print and digital. And a quick aside, it is fascinating to me, fascinating might be overstating it, how the world of subscriptions work. So I subscribed for a year. Uh, This year they sent me a reminder that my subscription was coming up and they offered me a renewal of $39.99 for an entire year. A savings of 67%, I believe they said. Now, for the previous year, June 2021 to June 2022, they billed me $199. How ridiculous is that? I think 
that is because maybe they had me on auto renewal. And it's just so frustrating because when you renew a magazine, which for $39.99 I did, you know, it tells me it'll auto renew. Well, now I have to go back in and remember or figure out how not to have it auto renew because clearly they do not offer deals to people who are on auto renewal. So I don't blame Scientific American for that. I just uh, cast aspersion on the magazine industry in general, which I know I shouldn't because, you know, print publications of quality are probably struggling, which is why everyone has a digital presence as well anyway. But uh, one of the recent Scientific American magazines that I loved was the February 2022 issue. It had a lot of good articles in there. And this is the segment of the mini-sode where I'm going to share some with you and hope that it causes you or gives you something to ponder about because that's really what it's all about, people pondering. Okay, so first we have from the editors the Science Agenda Opinion and Analysis from Scientific American's Board of Editors titled, American History Should Teach Reality. Lessons about racism are essential to a fact-based education. And what I will be reading to you is just a couple of snippets that I underlined, certainly not the whole article because, you know, I wouldn't want to get in trouble for any IP infringement. This I'm sharing and will say it qualifies as educational purpose in particular because I'm not making money off this podcast anyway. Elected officials who campaigned against critical race theory, CRT, the study of how social structures perpetuate racial inequality and injustice, are being sworn into office all over the U.S. These candidates captured voters' attention by vilifying CRT, which has become a catch-all to describe any teaching about racial injustice. Calling its inclusion divisive, some states have enacted legislation banning CRT from school curricula altogether. This regressive agenda threatens children's education by propagating a falsified view of reality in which American history and culture are outcomes of white virtue. It is part of a larger program of avoiding any truths to make some people uncomfortable, which sometimes allows in active disinformation such as creationism. Pardon me now while I let in my whiny cat, a.k.a. Finny the Foof. Welcome, whiny boy. Yes, you're a whiny boy. That's my life, people. Constant interruptions by whiny things. Anywho, removing conversations around race and society removes truth and reality from education. Let's think about that, people. Of course, people that are throwing around CRT and critical race theory in a disparaging way are people who don't even understand what it means anyway. Hashtag losers. Okay, on to the next little tidbit. The Forum, commentary on science and the news from the experts. And this is titled, Freedom to Tinker. The U.S. Congress needs to uphold the right to repair electronic devices. And this is by Kyle, I don't know how to say his last name, Wines, Weens, Wiens, W-I-E-N-S. He is a right to repair advocate and CEO of iFixit, a free repair manual website. He has dedicated his life to defeating the second law of thermodynamics. Ha ha ha. Okay. So 
Uh, Fighting for the right to fix such problems has taken him down a decade-long rabbit hole of work on federal policy, including an obscure section of U.S. Copyright Law, Section 1201. It blocks the breaking of digital locks used to guard access to devices' software. Unlocking Section 1201 is an essential part of the broader right-to-repair movement, which aims to combat the measures that make it difficult or impossible to improve or fix electronics. Limiting the ability to repair a broken device destroys independent repair shops and encourages consumers to dispose of a machine instead of fixing it. This is bad for device owners, and it contributes to the rising tide of electronic waste around the world. The proposed solution is simple. Create an ecosystem of professional and do-it-yourself fixers by removing the obstacles to repair that many manufacturers have built into their products. In 2021, demand induced at least 27 U.S. states to propose legislation for enabling repairs. These laws would require manufacturers to open up access to proprietary tools and parts and make service information and schematics available to consumers. States cannot fix copyright law, however. Finn, nobody wants to hear you, buddy. I don't know if you can hear my cat. One of my cats, Finn. When Congress passed Section 1201 as part of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act in 1998, its intent was to prevent DVD piracy. Legislators wrote the text quite broadly. As a result, anything with software in a digital lock falls under Section 1201, and any repairs that require the breaking of a digital lock are illegal. But there is an escape hatch. Every three years, you can petition for the right to break certain kinds of locks. Uh, Let's see. So since October 28th, which would be October 28th, 2021, it has been legal to break locks for the purposes of, quote, diagnosis, maintenance, and repair, end quote, on any, quote, software-enabled device that is primarily designed for use by consumers, end quote, as well as on vehicles, marine vessels, and medical devices. Um, let's see. This is a big win. But the new exemptions do not cover modifications, such as, say, changing the settings on your cat's smart litter box or non-consumer devices such as laboratory equipment. And there is an even bigger catch. They do not allow the distribution of repair tools that circumvent manufacturers' digital locks. According to Section 1201, the Copyright Office lacks the authority to grant permission to sell or distribute the necessary software. Without easy access to these tools, the new rules have no teeth. Um, that's true. The Copyright Office, I cannot really see how they would uh, have anything to do with the granting of permission for distribution of software. I don't think that's how the office works, says the IP lawyer. Anywho, do you see when you read Scientific American, you just find all these interesting things. And if this is boring you, you should have already left the podcast or you can just keep hitting 30 second advance and see what happens. There's lots of other stuff in here. I won't bore you with continued reading, but I'm just going to give you the titles. A faster path to new treatments, medical trials that test many therapies at once are showing big benefits. The origins of space and time. Space time may emerge from a more fundamental reality. Figuring out how could unlock the most urgent goal in physics, a quantum theory of gravity. So fascinating, I'm telling you, this space-time stuff. I mean, if you haven't ever spent any time exploring it, I highly recommend you do so. It is fascinating. 
Will we ever know the real nature of space and time? Who knows? Let's just share a little bit how space-time emerges. Space and time are traditionally thought of as the backdrop to the universe, but new research suggests they might not be fundamental. Instead, space-time could be an emergent property of a more basic reality, the true backdrop to the cosmos. This idea comes from two theories that attempt to bridge the divide between general relativity and quantum mechanics. The first, string theory, recasts subatomic particles as tiny loops of vibrating string. The second, loop quantum gravity, envisions space-time being broken down into chunks, discrete bits that combine to create a seemingly smooth continuum. I wish I could space-time my cat somewhere else. Uh Just kidding about the accuracy of that statement. That's completely inaccurate. But I do wish my cat would leave me alone. But since he's not going to, I guess I will say bye for now.